Let me begin this morning in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29. 1 Samuel 15, 29. We find here a title that applies to God that's used just one time in the scripture. And it's a title that Samuel gave when he spoke to Saul concerning his disobedience in this chapter. We find where he says, For the strength of Israel, and that's spelled with a capital S, for the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent. He's not man that he should repent. Now, Samuel had just told Saul that due to his disobedience and what had happened, we find where the Lord had given him a commandment as he went out to do battle against the Amalekites, that he was to destroy all the Amalekites. He was to bring back no one alive, uh, man or beast. And we find that the Lord blessed him to win the battle, but... Saul didn't obey the Lord. And he brought back the king. He brought back the very best of the oxen and the sheep. And Samuel came on the scene and he could hear the oxen and the sheep. And when he approached Saul, Saul said, I did what the Lord commanded me. Now this is interesting that he thought he had done what God said, which means he felt like if he'd done close to what God said, that was good enough. God said, bring no one back. You destroy them all. Every, every man, every person, all the beast. But he brought back the king so he could parade him before the people. And he brought back the very best of the oxen and the sheep. And Samuel could hear the lowing of the oxen and the bleeding of the sheep. The evidence was there that he had not obeyed the Lord. This was the second major time that Saul had disobeyed God. As a result of that, God has taken the kingdom away from him. Now, the book of Hosea, chapter 13, verse 11, is a little kind of a, uh, something like you might see on the, on the tombstone of Saul. The Lord said, I gave thee, talking about Israel, I gave thee a king in mine anger, and I took him away in my wrath. If you know something about Saul's life, you know that he was Saul of Kish. You know, prior to him becoming king, Israel had no king. He was the first king that Israel had. And this was as a result of the human mind and emotions, you might say, taken over among the Israelites. They looked out, instead of looking up, they looked out, they saw other nations, and other nations had an earthly king. And so they wanted to be like other nations. That's part of our human nature. You know, the Bible is an up-to-date book. No matter what sermon you take out of the Word of God, no matter what subject matter it is, even though it was completed nearly 2,000 years ago, it'll be up to date. It'll be up to date. And the reason for that is God doesn't change, man doesn't change, human nature doesn't change. And what was right back then is right now. What was wrong back then is wrong now. What was sin back then is sin now. What was righteousness back then is righteousness now. None of that changes. Now, lots of changes taking place in the world, but all those things are the same. That's why God's book, is so marvelous and so amazing and so, so wonderful is because even though this book was completed 20 centuries ago, it's just as up to date as it was when John pinned down the last word in Revelation chapter 22. So they wanted to be like other people. Have you ever wanted to be like other people? I can remember when I was in school, high school, you know, I kind of liked to want to dress like the popular people were, how they dressed, the kind of shoes they wore, the shirts they wore, and all those kind of things. Uh, are you guilty of things like that? Uh, you know, you want to just—you don't want to stand out. You don't want to be a uh, a black sheep. You don't want to be the sore thumb. You want to blend in, don't you? That's human nature. But the Bible consistently instructs us to come out from among them and be a separate people, saith the Lord. When God put Israel in the land of Canaan, He gave them a land where they could be separate from all the other nations. He drove them all out so they would have a land where they could inhabit and dwell in. And be different. Even in the land of Egypt. In the land of Egypt, God gave the Israelites and his providence the land of Goshen. The land of Goshen was geographically located in the northeast part of the land of Egypt. And they, could, they were a long ways away from the king's palace. A long ways away from all the great wickedness and evil. You know, the, at least the majority of it or the, the greatest part of it in the land of Egypt. God gave them a land where they could be as separate as possibly they could be in that situation. 
So they wanted to be like other people, so they wanted a king, and God allowed them to have a king, but we know Hosea records it and says God gave them a king in his anger. God was angry about it. Why wouldn't he be? He'd always been everything they stood in need of. He formed them. He created them. They, he blessed them with everything they ever stood in need of. They didn't need an earthly king. But then desiring an earthly king, they were saying, well, you know, we, we want to be like other people. We think we'd be better off to have an earthly king than to have you as our heavenly king. It angered God. God allowed him to have him. But he was a great disappointment. From an outward position, he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He stood out. In a crowd of people, you could always pick him out because he was, physically speaking, uh, larger and bigger than anyone else. He had all the physical attributes from the standpoint of man's viewpoint that a man could have to be the kind of leader they wanted to have, the kind of king they wanted to have. And if Saul had been obedient to the Lord, the Lord would have blessed him, and the Lord did bless him. In the beginning, Saul was humble, but as time went on, he allowed his pride to rule his life in his the envy of his nature and the jealousy of his nature came out when God began to bless a man by the name of David. So Samuel calls Saul on the carpet. And he says, because you have rejected the word of God, God has rejected you. That principle still applies today. People disregard God's word and reject God's word, and yet they still want to have a close walk with the Lord. It's amazing to me how people who, will, who quit going to church, who don't go to church, ever, hardly ever mention the name of God, let sickness come, and they want everybody to pray for them. They want to get a little closer to God at times like that. But the Lord calls upon us to walk close to Him on a daily basis. And Saul could have obeyed the Lord, and he did not, and God is going to take the kingdom away. And Samuel reports that to him, and he says... The strength of Israel, spelled with a capital S. The middle section of your Bible will tell you the strength of Israel. That phrase means victorious. It means eternity. The strength of Israel shall not repent. That is, he's not going to change on this. The kingdom is going to be taken from you, Saul. God's not going to change, and God's not going to repent. This expression here, the strength of Israel, shall not repent... Neither shall he lie. He's not man that he should repent. Gives us a, a picture of God uh, in, in just a, a, you know, just a few words here. And, and the Bible gives us a picture of God from Genesis to Revelation. It's very important that we get a proper concept of God. A lot of people don't have that. It's been said among the primitive Baptists that the first thing you need to do to understand the doctrine of grace is understand the doctrine of man's depravity. And I wouldn't disagree with that at all. But to go along with that, I think you need to understand that God is sovereign. You need to see what God says about himself in his word. If God is omnipotent, and he is, he has all power in heaven and earth, and he does, then don't tell me that God is trying to do something. Don't tell me that God would do this if you would do that. God's trying to save people, but he just can't get enough cooperation. And things of this nature, he goes contrary to the attribute of his omnipotence. And don't tell me God's the author of sin and confusion. The Bible says he's not. Don't charge God with sin and evil doings in this world because God is righteous and righteousness and holiness. It would go against his character to do such. If you understand the character of God... If you understand the picture of God or the profile of God, I guess if you want to say it that way, that God gives us of himself in his word, then that automatically would enable you to understand a lot of things about the doctrine's world that they're false. The strength of Israel. He'd always been the strength of Israel. There's never a time he was not the strength of Israel. Apart from him, they had no strength. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ taught this principle for us in the New Testament. In the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 1, the Lord said, I am the vine, and ye are the branches. And my father is the husbandman. You've got a picture of a vineyard here, right? You've got a husbandman, that's God. Christ is the vine, and you are the branches. He said, Every branch that abideth not in me, he says, the Lord cuts and beareth no fruit, the Lord taketh away. Now this, these verses teach discipleship. 
in being fruit bearers as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, except you abide in me, you cannot bring forth fruit. He that abideth in me and bringeth forth fruit, he says, God purgeth that might bring forth more fruit. Now, purging is, uh, you know, is, can be uh, painful, you might say. To purge something out oftentimes can be a painful process, but a fruitful process. Then he goes on to say, moreover, to be my disciples, you must bring forth much fruit. This is all about discipleship. It's not relationship, it's discipleship. Now, we know if you cut a branch off of a limb or a limb off of a trunk of a tree, what's going to happen to that branch and that limb in a few days of time? It's just going to shrivel up, isn't it? I mean, it, it cannot bring forth any fruit whatsoever because it's been severed from the source of its nourishment and its strength. The Lord's people need to abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. Without me, you can do nothing. Without God, Israel could do nothing. And then Paul says in Philippians 4 and 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now I want you to remember the words this morning, strengthen and the word strong. Here we have a title of God, the strength of Israel shall not repent nor lie. He's not man that he should repent. That simply means the counsels of God are for eternity. Sprinkle all the way through the Bible. You'll find a verse here and a verse there, and a verse over here and a verse over here that tells us some things about God that you need to know and never forget. For example, Hebrews 13 and 8. For the Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, is that hard to understand? That's not hard to understand. A lot of the Bible is not hard to understand. There are portions that it is, but much of the Bible is not hard to understand. It's, it's pretty clear. Jesus Christ the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't say tomorrow because forever captures all the tomorrows. Yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus doesn't change. James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, for whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. There's no variableness with God. There's no turning with God. You see the principle involved in this? It's important you get this. He's the same. Look at Hebrews 6, 17. Wherein he shows the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, that by two immutable things, which is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who've laid hold upon that hope that is set before us. God's immutable. That means unchangeable. God cannot change. His, therefore, his counsels don't change. His word doesn't change. By two immutable things, his counsel doesn't change, and God cannot lie. Now, that principle is what's involved in the book of Malachi, chapter 3 and verse 6, when the Lord said to Israel, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. God had made many promises concerning Israel, and because he's the Lord and the Lord can't change, and the Lord had made these promises, his promises are going to be fulfilled, therefore they would not be consumed. That's a wonderful verse. And I am the Lord, I change not. That cannot be said about anybody else but the Lord himself. I am the Lord, I change not, therefore, based on that principle, the sons of Jacob are not consumed. Well, certainly one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Daniel 4.35, when the king said, all the inhabitants of earth are reputed as nothing. But God works his will among the army of heaven and all the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or saith unto him, what doest thou? Isn't that wonderful? That shows his sovereignty. It shows his omnipotence. It shows the weakness of man, the depravity of man. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. But God works his will. God's got a will and he works it. Think about that. If it was God's will for every individual in this, in, of all humanity to be saved, you know how many would be saved? Every single member of, of humanity would be saved if that was his will. But it wasn't his will. God works his will among the army of heaven and among all the inhabitants of earth, and none can stay his hand, none can stop him, or say unto him, What doest thou? It's the sovereignty of God. 
Psalms 115, verse 3, Our Lord is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. They're just scattered all through the Bible. No man can stop God from carrying out his counsel. Psalms 33, 11, The counsel of the Lord shall stand forever in the thoughts of his heart to every generation. Ecclesiastes 3, 14, He says, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall stand forever. And that can be added to it, and that can be taken away from it. They're just scattered throughout the Bible. <laughs> Proverbs, Psalms, Hebrews, Daniel, all, you know, Old Testament, New Testament. These are all verses to give you an indication, a concept, a picture to grasp and hold on to, to the great God of heaven and earth who spoke this world into existence and upholds all things by the word of his power. The strength of Israel shall not repent. In the book of Romans, Paul says, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God doesn't change his mind about things. Now, I know there's a couple of places, in fact, one place in 1 Samuel chapter 15 where it says God repented, he made Saul king. That word repent there, when you look it up, it simply means to sigh, to be disappointed. You know, that's, that's totally different from what he's saying here in 1 Samuel 15, 29. He'd always been the strength of Israel. Never a time he was not. Israel was not self-existing. They didn't bring themselves into existence any more than you can bring yourself into the family of God. God formed them and he created them according to his own sovereign power and pleasure. When they were down in the land of Egypt and they were there for 430 years and suffering, it pleased God to call a man by the name of Moses to go down to the land of Egypt and bring his people out of there. You look in Exodus chapter 5, you'll find that Moses and Aaron went down there and, and they made their first request unto Pharaoh. You know what Pharaoh's response was? He says, who is the Lord that I should let Israel go? He says, I know not the Lord. He didn't know the Lord. He wasn't acquainted with the Lord and the God of the Israelites. So it was rejection. And he even caused more burdens to be put upon the nation of Israel, upon the Israelites there. You know, they were having to make bricks. And the Egyptians would furnish the straw and they'd make the bricks. But he says, from now on, you're going to have to get your own straw. Seems like you've been idle and therefore you've got time on your hands. You're going to have to get the straw as well. And they couldn't do it. Moses come back. It was like he, he couldn't quite understand. And you read the opening couple of verses of Exodus chapter 6. The Lord spoke to Moses. And I like the way this starts out. He says to Moses, he says, see what I shall do unto Pharaoh. You see what I shall do unto Pharaoh. By strong hand, he shall let them go. By strong hand, strength, his strong hand, he shall drive them out. That's not Pharaoh's hand, that's God's hand. How's he going to drive them out? How's he going to let them go? He's going to let them go with strong hand. And so the Lord began to perform those miracles to send those plagues. And each time one would come, Pharaoh would say, he, you know, he would change his mind. And then when the plague was removed, his heart would be hardened. And things just got worse. At this particular time, you're going to find Pharaoh at the height of his power and the height of his pride. And you're going to find Israel at the very bottom down here of their misery and their bondage and their captivity. So this is where the Lord really shines, isn't it? He says to Moses, he says, see what I shall do unto Pharaoh. And for the next about 15 chapter, verses in this chapter, you find the word I having reference to God 17 times. I will do this. I will do that. Now, when somebody starts talking to me using the word I a lot, that's a red flag. But I love the eyes of God. When God says I'll do something, he's going to do it. When God says, this is the way it's going to be, that's the way it's going to be. He says, you watch Moses, you'll see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, who's the Lord? I'm going to show him who the Lord is. And then three times, we come up here after this takes place, you come to Exodus chapter 13, and you find three times in this chapter where Moses tells the Israelites that by strength of hand, God brought you out of the land of Egypt. By strength of hand, by strength of hand, by strength of hand. And he says, when your children, your sons ask you about all this, you tell them, by strength of hand, the Lord 
brought us out of the land of Egypt. How did he get out of the land of Egypt? By the strength of hand, the strength of Israel. The word by, he brought about by strong hands used once in that 13th chapter. So four times in chapter 13, the hand of God is referred to as bring, the strength of God's hand is referred to of bringing Israel out of the land of Egypt. And he starts off in the first of that by telling them to set aside the firstborn uh, of man or beast. He says, for they are mine. Now, what was the last plague? The last plague was the death of the firstborn, right? God spared the firstborn of every Israelite. He slew the firstborn of every Egyptian. That word firstborn means with dignity and rank. And it has reference to the Lord Jesus Christ himself in the New Testament. Romans 8, 29, over whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Not only is Christ the firstborn among many brethren, he's the first begotten from the dead. He's also the first fruits of them that slept. He's also the first resurrection. He also arose on the first day of the week. And that's why we assemble ourselves on the first day of the week to worship God. It's in honor of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why he tells us to seek ye first the kingdom of God. And we're to lay aside on the first day of the week as God has prospered us as we support the Lord's church and kingdom from a financial point of view. So he says, you set aside those firstborn. He says, they're mine. I spared the firstborn of Israel. Now the, your firstborn, they're mine. He says, remember the day that you came out of the land of Egypt which is the month of Abib, which be correspond to our March slash April. Remember this day perpetually from this point forward. And that gave rise to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then he told each generation to do that perpetually because they were in the loins of those original Israelites that came out of the land of Egypt. Now, when they were brought out of the land of Egypt, totally and completely without the loss of one, an entire nation came out of there, not one was left. Now, that, what's that a picture of? Well, it's a picture of the work of our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ who saved his people from their sins without the loss of one. As I said in times in the past, Moses was a great deliverer, but he, saved, he delivered an entire nation, but Jesus Christ delivered a people out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people upon the face of this earth. Isn't it wonderful the Bible declares that to us? If we didn't read the Bible, we wouldn't even know that, but we know it because it's in God's Word. God has his people. He can be found among the red, the white, the black, the yellow. The Lord's people is out of every nation, every kindred, every tongue, and every people upon the face of this earth. And the gospel will never reach all of them. Oh, there will be more people in heaven, by far more people in heaven who never heard the gospel, never heard the name Jesus Christ, than there will be that has. Because God didn't depend upon the mean, upon means of bringing his people home to glory. God sent his son to take care of all that, you see. For the strength of Israel will not repent nor lie. He's not man that he should repent. He'd always been the strength of Israel. Now we come to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 31 and Moses has got just a little short time left to live and he exhorts the nation of Israel to do two things. He says be strong and of good courage. Tells them that twice. Then the Lord's already shown to Moses while he will not go into Canaan's land there's a man that he's going to anoint with his spirit named Joshua that's going to replace him. And so Moses tells Joshua, be strong and of good courage. He tells Israel, he tells Joshua. Then you come to Joshua chapter 1, and you find the Lord tells Joshua. The Lord is speaking to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, and four times he tells Joshua, be strong and of good courage and be not dismayed. Four times. Joshua had a big task in front of him, didn't he? He was going to have to fall in the shoes, start with of Moses, and he was going to have to deliver uh, Israel across the Red Sea and lead them in the conquest of the land of Canaan. But here's what the Lord said to Joshua. He says, as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. Joshua had been beside, the, beside Moses for a long time, and he knew by observation how God had been with Moses 
So when the Lord said, as I was with Moses, I'll be with you, that had to be the most encouraging thing Joshua could have heard, right? Well, if you was going to be with me like you were with Moses, we're going to be okay. He said, strong, be strong and of good courage. What about up here in the New Testament? We're told in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He didn't say be strong in yourself, be strong in the Lord. Now, the Lord's people face opposition. I'm, I'm telling you, the greatest degree of opposition in my lifetime, I have no doubt about that. We live in a very antagonistic society against Christianity. People are intimidated. People are, you know, are afraid to speak up in the name of the Lord anymore. Especially if you're a politician, for example. If you say anything about your faith, you say anything about your belief in God, well, the next morning, boy, you, it's, you're going to get rained upon with every kind of criticism you could possibly think of. They just want to tear you to shreds. And if you happen to be somebody well-known, you know, in entertainment society, and you say something about the Lord and your faith, oh, it, it just, you expect a torrential rain of criticism coming your way. The Lord's people live in a society today. Now, this has always been the way it was. But the world wants to intimidate us. But Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God. Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, he says, but be strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why, why is Paul telling the church at Ephesus, why is Paul telling Timothy to be strong if it wasn't necessary for them to be strong and it tells me, apart from God, they didn't have the strength to be strong. Be strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Remember His name, the strength of Israel. Spell with a capital S. Spell with a capital S, the Apostle Paul. You know, I was thinking about Paul when he was Saul. Saul of Tarsus and Saul of Kish. Over here in the Old Testament, Saul of Tarsus over here in the New in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul had been called up to the third heaven. And when he had that wonderful, miraculous experience, we find that he saw things that was not lawful for him to utter. And God gave him a thorn in the flesh. And Paul prayed three times the thorn might be removed, but the Lord did not remove the thorn, but he gave him this answer. He says, my grace is sufficient for thee. And Paul, after getting that message from the Lord, said, If I glory, let me glory in my tribulations, for when I'm weak, then am I strong. Paul recognized to be strong, you had to understand your weakness. If you didn't see and understand your weakness, you wouldn't call upon the Lord, and therefore you would never be strong. The opposite was true with Saul of Kish. Saul of Kish was strong in himself. <laughs> and what was revealed? His weakness. Paul said, when I'm weak, then am I strong. Saul of Kish said, when I'm strong, then I'm weak. We, may, we need to follow Saul of Tarsus, don't we? Who, the Apostle Paul. In 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17, Paul says, when my first answer, no man stood by me. Everybody left him. In my first answer, no man stood by me. He said, but nevertheless, the Lord stood by me. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. You'll always find Paul pointing to the Lord as his strength, time and time and time again. Always like this expression found in the book of 1 Samuel. Um, it's in 1 Samuel. Anyway, <laughs> um, chapter 23, I believe. You'll find where David's on the run from Saul but he has a close friend in Saul's son, Jonathan. And Jonathan has come to the full realization that there's nothing he can do now to keep his father from pursuing after his close friend David with the intentions of slaying him. So he meets David in the woods one last time. This is the last time David and Jonathan are ever together. The last time these two men who were so bonded, so close, were ever together. And the Bible says that Jonathan strengthened David's hand in the Lord.
Now, we don't give any details about that. But you know, I'd like to be the kind of friend that would strengthen your hand in the Lord. That can remind you, yes, you may be weak, but God is strong. I might remind you, God will never leave you nor forsake you. I might remind you that God is omnipotent, that God cares for you, and God has compassion upon you. You're precious in the sight of God. He sees all, knows all. When you're fearful, he becomes your courage. When you're confused, he becomes your guide. In your weakness, he becomes your strength. He, he strengthens David's hand in the Lord. He didn't go there telling David, oh, don't worry about it. He'll never find you one thing or another. He told David something or another that strengthens David concerning the pursuit that his father was intent on having to take David's life. He strengthened his hand in the Lord. Let's go to the... Uh, 16th chapter of the book of Judges. In Judges chapter 16, we're going to read the last days of a man by the name of Samson. Oh, how interesting Samson is. <laughs> Samson was given a marvelous supernatural gift of strength. Nobody in the Bible even comes close to comparing to what Samson can do, the exploits of Samson. Read how Samson one time took 300 foxes and tied their tails together and set, it, and set them on fire and put them in the, in the fields, the cornfields of the Philistines. How he took the jawbone of an ass and slayed a thousand Philistines, and that was his weapon, the jawbone of an ass. In the beginning of this chapter, he goes to the city of Gaza, which was off limits. This was uh, Samson's problem all along. He didn't understand where the boundaries were. Hear a lot about that today, don't you, about kids not having boundaries? Parents don't set boundaries. My daddy set some boundaries. He just didn't use the word. I never heard the word boundary in relationship to kids and parents until a few years back. But I can assure you, my dad knew how to set boundaries without saying, here's the boundary. Samson didn't know where the boundaries were. The Lord had been very clear about his children mixing and mingling with those who were not Israelites. They were not to take the sons and daughters of the enemy for their wives and their husbands, and they were not to give their daughters and their sons likewise. Because when they mixed, they'd lose their identity, number one. And they'd be persuaded to worship the false gods of this world. Samson knew all that. But Samson couldn't control his nature. Well, he didn't do it. What a great king Saul could have been if he just simply obeyed God, but he didn't. Samson was given this supernatural gift of, of great strength. And I know Samson's listed over here in Hebrews chapter 11, and the heroes you know, of the faith, he's over there in Hebrews chapter 11. Samson goes to Gaza, and he goes into a harlot down there that he never would have even met had he not went to a place he shouldn't have been. And the Philistines knew he was in that city, and they made a plan to capture him and to slay him, and they was going to wait till the morning hours for some reason. But at midnight, Samson found out about it one way or the other. I'm not exactly sure how he found out, but he did. You know what Samson did? He went down to the gate of the city, and he took the gates of the city, the, 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 the post of the gates, he just pulled them right out of the ground, and he took the post and the, and the gate... Gates of cities were, were thick and heavy. And he put them on his shoulder and took them to the top of the hill. <laughs> what an amazing scene that must have been. Just walked right out of there. But then he fell in love with a woman named Delilah. Now we won't go through all of that. Because eventually she is going to persuade him to reveal unto her where his strength was. See, Samson was a Nazarite, which means he was not to drink any strong drink. He was not to touch anything that was dead. He was to let his hair grow, not cut his hair. These were the identifying marks of a Nazarite. God was always his strength. It never was in his hair. God was always his strength. But when he revealed unto her 
about his hair, she caused him to lay his head in her lap and he fell asleep. What was our opening text today on the prayer list? Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead. He fell asleep with his head in her lap. And she had a man to come and cut the locks of his hair. The Bible says, and this is an important verse, when Samson awoke, he was got up and was going to go out as he had always had in times past, not knowing the Lord had departed from him. You know, one of the worst mistakes a preacher can make is by being blessed to preach on a regular basis. And then one day he just goes to church thinking, well, I'll preach again. And he hadn't talked to the Lord, hadn't prayed to the Lord. I try not to make that mistake. Because I made it one time early on in my life. And it's not a good feeling. I try not to make that mistake. I don't care how blessed God might bless me to preach. How many sermons in a row. Every occasion is new. Every time we worship together it's new. Every time I speak it's new. God's grace he gave me last Sunday was sufficient for last Sunday. But I have to have a new of his grace this Sunday. If you want to find a preacher, boy, it's just miserable as miserable can be. Just let him try to preach with the Lord departing from him. Samson went out as times passed, just like in times past. You know what that tells me? That tells me he began to think this power and this strength was of himself. Not knowing that the Lord had departed from him. And they came upon him and they captured him. And they bore out his eyes. Yeah, they bore him out. He lost his sight. He lost his witness. He lost his testimony. He lost his power. He lost his strength. He lost all of that. Time went on. Then we find a verse saying this, but his hair began to grow back again. That tells me that while the Lord departed from him, he had not forsaken him. His hair began to grow back again. And one day, they wanted Samson to make sport. And they were in this building where there's 3,000 men and women in this building. And they were mocking Samson. And they were, Samson was having to make sport for them. But Samson talked to a little lad and told the lad, he says, Take and put my hands upon the pillars of which this building rests. And he did. We find the second recorded prayer of Samson. He says, O Lord, I pray thee, strengthen my hands this one time, I pray thee, that I might die the death of the Philistines and avenge myself, my loss of my eyes. Sounds like it was a little bit selfish on Samson, but nevertheless the Lord honored that. And the Lord gave him back the strength. He had given him in the very beginning. And Samson took those two pillars and his hands on those pillars and he pushed them out. And the entire building collapsed and fell down and he slayed more in his death than he did in his life. All 3,000 were slain and Samson died as well. Samson's strength was always in the Lord. The strength of Israel shall not repent nor lie. He's not man that he should lie. He was always Israel's strength. He was always Samson's strength. He was Saul's strength as long as Saul obeyed him. But when Saul disobeyed him, he took the kingdom away from him, you see. One of my favorite characters in the Bible who sometimes is in the shadow of Joshua is a man by the name of Caleb. You know, Joshua and Caleb were two of the twelve spies, the only two of the twelve that's named, when they went over to the land of Canaan and spied out the land for 40 days and they came back. And Joshua and Caleb gave a report about how fruitful the land was, how, you know, uh, wonderful the land was, one thing or another. But they did not deny there was great walled cities, did not deny there were giants in the land. The others came back telling about all that. And Joshua and Caleb said, we'd be well able to take the land. The other ten said, no, we'd be not able and the people listened to the ten rather than the two. But you come to Joshua chapter 14. And I want you to notice several expressions that come from the lips of Caleb. 
Canaan says, I, when I went and spied out the land, I came back and I spoke what was in my heart. So what was in the heart of Caleb? Go back and read there in the book of Numbers, chapter 20, and you find what Caleb said. Caleb said, oh yes, I've already mentioned, the land's uh, got great walled cities and giants, but we be well able to take the land if God is pleased to give us the land. We be well able. You know why he said that? Because he knew that God had the power to give it to him. If God promised him, he would give the power to take it. And he says, I was 40 years old. 45 years has gone by, and Jacob's now 85. You know, how old was Moses when God sent him back to Egypt? He was 80. How old was Sarah when God enabled her to conceive and bring forth a child? She was 90. You never get too old to serve the Lord and be fruitful and beneficial and profitable in God's house. I'm looking forward one of these days to getting that age. If Moses at 80 do all that, and Caleb 85 did all that, who knows what I might be able to do. <laughs> He's 85. This is his birthday. And he says, it's, 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 the strength that I had then is the same strength I've got now. As I was strong in that day, he says, I'm strong in this day to go out and, and war. And then he says, if it be the Lord's will to go with me. He didn't doubt where his, his strength come from, did he? If it be the Lord's will to go with me, I can obtain this land. You know, see, Moses promised Caleb that when he got to the land of Canaan, he's going to give him Hebrew, which means fellowship. He says, I want that mountain. You promised me that mountain, Moses, and I want it. He says, as my strength was in that day, so is my strength now. Now, I've thought about that a lot. It's hard to believe an 85-year-old man was as strong as he was when he was 40. But see, I believe there's something greater in, involved in this if we think about it. The strength that he had at 40 came from the Lord. The strength he's going to have at 85 coming from the Lord. And then he says, the Lord hath kept me alive these 45 years. You ever think about that? You know, I've, uh, I've traveled a lot of miles. I've traveled over a million miles by car. There's a lot of danger out there. I've flown a lot of miles. I'm like the Apostle Paul, having obtained help of God, I continue to this day. I know the Lord's kept me alive. I can give you several cases where the Lord's kept me alive. Or I wouldn't be here today. And I think you say the same thing. He said, the Lord's kept me alive these 45 years. Now, when we were, Karen and I were on our trip, we are on the island of Dominica. And we took an excursion. And part of that excursion on the island of Dominica was to take a little field trip to a waterfall. And you had to go down these steps, and these are very crude steps. These steps made out of concrete and, and stone and rock. Then you had to go up, and now I know why before we took the excursion, they made a sign a paper. They were not responsible for injury or death. It was the only place we had to sign that. I said, well, okay, we'll sign it. I know why now. We got that waterfall, and it was, it was beautiful. It was worth the effort. And then we started back down. And they had a handrail through most of it, but there's one place here, a handrail had been broken down, they hadn't replaced it. And we're walking down those steps. Now mind you, these steps are very uneven, they're rough, they're made out of stone and rock and concrete, one thing and another. Karen and her two sisters and her husband, it was all in front of me, I was behind. We come around this little curve right where the... the Rail was broken down, and somehow or another I tripped. And I started going forward, trying to catch my balance, which was an impossibility. Gravity, body weight, going down, whatever, no chance. All that lay between me and there was stone and rock. And I, I, about, I knew I was about ready to lose it for sure. And I hollered out, help me. And there was this lady, and I think her husband, as they were coming up the steps, 
just happened to be in the right place at the right time, and I hollered, help me. She reached out her hand, and I grabbed her hand and arm, and she grabbed me. And Karen heard all this and turned around and saw what was happening and rushed up and put her hands behind me and kept me from falling. If I had failed, I can assure you there would have been broken bones. I mean, at best, probably broken bones and the face, the arm, I don't know what all would have happened, but it wouldn't have been pretty. If that woman and her husband had been a couple steps further back, she was in the right place. You know what I thought about? I thought about Psalms 34-7, right on the spot. The angel Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. And I thought about Hebrews 13, 1 and 2, right off the spot. Be careful to entertain strangers, but some of them entertain angels unawares. That woman could not have been in a more perfect place to help me. If she'd not been there, it'd have been disaster. I mean, it would have been bad. It would have been bad. You'd have to be there and see what I'm telling you to really realize the severity of what I'm talking about. You know, sometimes you, you, gotta, you just got to pray a fast prayer. <laughs> I know what Peter had on consideration. Lord, help me. He's going down the third time. When I said, help me, I was, I was crying to God. I was crying to anybody who could help me on that occasion. I just cried, help me, and thank God he helped me by putting a woman right in the right place. He reached out and grabbed me, and I grabbed her. I'm telling you, you couldn't have, you couldn't have got my, <laughs> you couldn't have pried my hand off of her <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> I'm telling you, I can't tell you how many times I have thanked God since that day. Then I knew why I signed the paper. I'm going to kind of conclude this morning by going to the book of 1 Kings chapter 19 and look at the experience of a man by the name of Elijah. Elijah had been a mighty man of God. God used him to perform a lot of miracles. He's used an example of the effectiveness of prayer of him in James chapter 5. But he said, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. He prayed it wouldn't rain, didn't rain for three and a half years. Prayed it wouldn't rain, didn't, did rain. And that's not the only prayer he prayed. You remember he prayed the prayer where God would send fire down out of heaven and consume that uh, sacrifice that he made unto God in that contest against the false gods of Baal. There are other prayers I probably would have put over there in James 5 if God left it up to me, but these are the two uh, that God put down about the rain. And he had all the prophets of Baal slain. And then Jezebel put out a threat against his life and he ran for the fear of his life into the wilderness a day's journey. And he cried out to God and said, Lord, he says, he says, just take my life. I mean, you, you know, you really think, how, how could he get in such a situation? Where after he'd seen such demonstrations of God's power, how he'd been used of God to perform so many miracles, how could he be in such a situation? He'd just cry out that the Lord might just take his life. I'm telling you, brother, <laughs> this flesh is so weak. It's like John the Baptist who baptized the Lord Jesus Christ in Jordan's river. Saw the Spirit of God descend from heaven as a bodily form and shape of a dove. And the voice cried out, This is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. But when he was in prison, he says, Is this the Christ? Should we look for another? You think, I'd have never said that. <laughs> you just hadn't been there. That's all I got to say. You just hadn't been there. And Elijah just cries to the Lord. He said, it is enough. In other words, Elijah is saying, Lord, I've, I've had enough. I'm tired of the fights. I'm tired of the battles. I'm tired of all of this. I've just had enough. And he fell asleep, and God sent an angel. And the angel woke him up. He said, arise and eat. And when he woke up and heard what the angel said, he looked over there, and there was... A meal on the coals and water in the cruise. And he ate the meat, he drank the water. He went back to sleep. The angel came and woke him up again. Said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too far for thee, too hard for thee, too long for thee. And he ate of that meat and drank of that water. And the Bible says he went in the strength. He went in the strength of that meat for 40 days to meet God on Mount Horeb. 
There are times in your life when you're so tired and you're so weary, you just reach a point and think, I just don't think I want to fight another battle. That you cry to God and God gives you what you stand in need of on that occasion. He gives you that strength. He went 40 days in the strength of that meat. That was a supernatural meal that God gave him that gave him enough strength and nourishment to go 40 days without eating anything else to meet with him. Remember Moses went on the top of the mountain 40 days, two different times to meet with God. And the Lord Jesus Christ uh, had that confrontation with Satan 40 days you know, after he you know, was hungry. He hadn't eaten anything in 40 days. But here God gives him something supernatural that's going to get him across the finish line. <laughs> what about today? It's called the Bible. It's called the Bible. God has given you something supernatural that will give you strength for the day, strength for the hour, strength for the moment. David said, I've hid thy word in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. There is strength in God's word that you will not find anywhere else. I encourage you to become a regular Bible reader and study of God's word, to learn the word of God. It will encourage you. It will strengthen you. It will comfort you. It will give you a peace that passes all understanding. But it will strengthen you like nothing else can possibly do. And that goes along with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, in Exodus chapter 15, verse 2, after they'd been delivered out of the, over the Red Sea, and they came and they sang the song of Moses. And here's how that song starts off. God is my strength. God is my song and God is my salvation. 800 years later, in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2, the same three words are used. God is my salvation, whom I will trust. God is my song and my strength. Three S's. Do you ever remember the three S tonic? Any of you ever remember that? They used to sell that and advertise on TV all the time back in the 60s and 70s. The three S tonic. Well, I'll just tell you what it is. I see a lot of puzzled faces out there. I'm sure some of you remember the 3S tonic. It was to build up your iron with supplements and vitamins, and you still buy it today at Walmart. You can buy it today at any pharmacy. It's called the 3S tonic. I got something better for you than that. I got the 3S tonic for you. It's called strength, it's called salvation, it's called song. God is my strength, he's my salvation, he's my song. There's your 3S tonic. Look it up when you get home today, just Google it. I'm not <laughs> dreaming this, I'm telling you it's a fact. The 3S tonic was popular then, it's still popular today. But it will not compare to God being your salvation, God being your song, and God being your strength. <laughs> Once you see your salvation and your strength, he becomes your song. Oh, my friends, <laughs> when you think about what God is able to do, what God has done, and what God has promised to do for you down the road in the future, he's been everything you've ever stood in of. He is the strength of Israel. Remember that this morning. The strength of Israel and that's natural Israel and also spiritual Israel. He's our strength in every set, set of circumstances, every situation that you'll ever face here in life. He is your three S tonic.